It was dead quiet inside. The lawmakers hadn't even arrived yet. I headed in a bit early with a couple of other reporters. About a hundred people could fit inside the hearing room. The space was fairly big, but the press table was tiny. We could all barely fit. After a few minutes, the witnesses made their way in. I saw Sarah take her seat. She sat in between an NFL official and the chairwoman of the Nevada Gaming Commission. I didn't see much interaction between the five witnesses before the hearing actually began. And then, the gavel struck. Good morning, and I'd like to welcome you all to today's hearing. Uh, first of all, let me say that this topic that we are going to be discussing today is probably just as important in terms of setting uh, uh, the future of American society of what's going on before our Judiciary Committee counterparts on the other side of the Capitol. Uh, but obviously we don't have the attention of the media since we have a mostly empty uh, a press table over there. You know, however, this is going to be an issue that is going to be really very, very important you know, in terms of uh, uh, making a determination of uh, uh, how professional and amateur sports are played uh, and the, any regulation, if any, that Congress should decide to put on the huge amounts of money that are bet both in legal and, in some cases, illegal forums. Sports and betting. When parlayed, they go together like lightning and thunder. But for the last 26 years, they went together more like breaking the law and going to jail. Hi, I'm Ryan Preet, a reporter with Bloomberg Tax, and together we will explore the past, present, and future of sports betting in the U.S. How could states keep themselves away from the congressional radar? Would the NFL and the gaming organizations reach a middle ground in front of federal lawmakers? Could costly mistakes at sports books become the new norm? In part two of this three-part series, we'll head into the hearing room on Capitol Hill, hear from federal lawmakers, and investigate an expensive error in New Jersey. So pick your teams and place your bets as Bloomberg Tax handicaps sports betting in America. This is The Over-Under. In episode one of The Over-Under, we examined the progression of sports betting in America and discuss what the real estimates were for the money at play for state coffers. We left off just as Sarah Slane of the American Gaming Association was set to testify at a House Judiciary Subcommittee hearing to examine sports betting. The hearing served as a reminder that there is no shortage of opposition to sports betting in the U.S. NFL officials urged lawmakers to enact legislation that would create uniform standards across the country and require the use of official league data. Officials from the coalition to stop internet gambling argued against any form of online wagering. It was a lot to take in. While we respect the court's ruling, it has ushered in a new reality. The absence of clear sports betting standards threatens the integrity of our nation's sporting contests, something Congress has sought to protect for nearly 60 years. 
In the majority opinion, Justice Alito wrote, Congress can regulate sports gambling directly, but if it elects to do so, each state is free to act on its own. To protect consumers, we urge Congress to immediately create new standards for legalized sports betting. There is no greater priority for Commissioner Goodell than protecting the integrity of our sport. Yet, we are very concerned leagues and states alone cannot fully guard against the harms Congress has long associated with sports betting. Therefore, the NFL is calling upon Congress to, one, ensure a sports betting framework with substantial safeguards for consumers, two, provide law enforcement tools to protect fans and penalize bad actors, and three, protect league consent and intellectual property. To protect consumers and game integrity, we recommend federal legislation, establish criteria for state regulatory entities, enforce age limits on sports betting, require use of official league data, preclude risky betting fixtures, prohibit insider and high-risk sports betting, and include responsible gambling resources. Meanwhile, Sarah argued that under the U.S. Supreme Court's decision, the regulation of state-by-state -state betting belonged to, well, the states. The Murphy versus NCAA ruling was only a few months old, and Congress needed to allow states some time to get things in order. Fortunately, states and tribes already have the regulatory infrastructure in place to make legal sports betting safe and successful. 40 states currently have either commercial or tribal casinos, and every state in the country has some form of gaming, other than Utah and Hawaii. Because of the active, robust state and regulatory tribal gaming oversight, gaming is one of the most strictly regulated industries in America. Multiple contractual deals have been reached, including the NBA, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Therefore, there is no need to legally mandate financial terms or official data purchase in statute as some professional sports leagues have proposed when it can be done via contract. The hearing didn't last long, just over an hour. And I've got to say, walking out of there, it didn't feel like much had been accomplished. Each witness clutched strongly to the ideology of the organization they were there to represent. There wasn't much in the way of compromise. The pro sport leagues wanted Congress to act. The betting organizations didn't. Probably the clearest takeaway was that federal lawmakers wanted to introduce some form of legislation. But when? And what would it propose? These two were unanswerable questions. I approached Virginia Representative and Committee Chairman Bob Goodlatte after the hearing. He knew he wanted to move forward with legislation but just didn't know the exact details yet. Um, that was a pretty quick hearing. I just want to ask, based on the hearing, do you think we're either closer or farther away from federal framework? Well, I think we're closer to agreement that we got to do something. I uh, don't know what it is yet. Subcommittee Chairman Jim Sensenbrenner had a slightly different approach in mind. He told me that Congress must come up with something for the short term and something for the long term. And if something isn't done to protect betters, then everyone is going to be in a lot of trouble in the future. I know, a lot of somethings and unclear consequences. But this is where we were following the September 27th hearing. 
Lawmakers, however, were given a couple of reasons to jump in and regulate sports betting. For one, proponents argue it could provide a security blanket across the country with uniform tax rates and licensing standards. Others say federal lawmakers could prevent another New Jersey situation. seconds to play on Sunday. You saw the Broncos down by two, moving well into field goal range against the Raiders. And then for a period of less than 20 seconds, the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands in Jersey changed the in-game odds on the outcome. But there was a glitch. And into that glitch wrote a guy from Newark who says he's due more than $80,000. And FanDuel now says, uh, no. FanDuel says it will not pay a New Jersey man more than $82,000 he won on a Broncos bet because its system malfunctioned. Maybe explain what exactly happened in that sports book and, and talk a little bit about whether or not this could be a reoccurring issue. Yeah, so the issue you're talking about is in New Jersey, there is uh, FanDuel Sportsbook, which is one of the, one of uh, eight online sports betting operations currently live in New Jersey, was booking bets in the middle of the Denver-Oakland game. Um, and this is, for those who are not familiar, there's in-play wagering is a big part of, of sports betting in Europe where you can bet on the outcome of a game while it's going on with variable odds. So what happened was a better uh, place to bet on Denver to win while they were losing by two points. Uh, they were driving with the ball, and FanDuel offered odds of 750 to 1 when Denver was pretty close to kicking a field goal uh, to win the game uh, with, with just a few seconds left. So the, the, those odds were way out of whack with what was going on in reality. The, the, odds, the, the real odds of Denver winning at that point were much lower, but... So this guy had a ticket for 110. He bought a ticket for 110 dollars. It would have paid over 80 thousand dollars. And Fanduel initially said, "Wait, this was just a glitch. Uh, we're not going to pay for it." Um, it took a pretty big PR hit over the course of, of last week, and then eventually said, "Oh, we're just, we're going to just pay the bet." And this is the kind of thing, you know. Uh, I mean, we've learned that it's pretty common for for this to happen at books that these errors, um, you know. They, they do happen from time to time in European books and, and even in offshore books, but I think I think there will be this is the kind of thing that if we're try, we're painting the regulated sports betting industry as better than the offshore market. So if you see mistakes like this happen, I think that's going to lead to questions and concerns that you know people. This, this gives a concrete example of that, and I think it'll it might it might pump the brakes a little bit. Let's make sure we're doing regulation right, making sure we're. In, we're not creating scenarios like this as, as much as possible. Like it's not entirely avoidable, but it, it's more avoidable than, than maybe some people have painted it, I think. Dustin Gauker is a managing editor at Legal Sports Report, an online news outlet devoted to sports betting. You heard that correctly, an $82,000 glitch because of a last second odds error, $82,000. That's the amount it would cost for you and 26 of your closest friends to attend this year's Super Bowl. Despite the hiccup in the Meadowlands, Sarah said the way New Jersey handled the situation made her optimistic about other future potential fallouts. You know, they acted, I think, quickly in working with the gaming regulator in New Jersey to, to determine that even though there was a mistake made by the sportsbook operator, um, that they would honor that bet and that they would pay them out. Um, you know, this is certainly, I think, a good example of how um, state regulation works and how it's better. Uh, it's a perfect example of how the nimbleness of being regulated at the state level empowers then the regulator and the operator to address issues quickly. 
um, and, ad and address mistakes quickly. And so, uh, you know, they ended up paying them out. And, um, you know, I think it is something that serves as a good warning now to other sportsbook operators um, and how they're going to address these kinds of issues if and when it does happen again. After the hearing, we were left with the question, does Congress really have an appetite for federal legislation? Gauker wasn't optimistic. I think the, the idea that we're going to have like a sports betting law this year or even next is, is a pretty lofty expectation. I, I think Congress, I don't think the issue is necessarily going to go away. We have some high-powered senators who are definitely interested in the issue. We have the NFL and Major League Baseball and NBA lobbying Congress to do something. As I said before, I had a lot of unanswered questions following the hearing. Chief among them, would lawmakers actually pull the trigger? States, of course, do not want Congress to intervene. They believe sports betting is their field to regulate, and for good reason. After all, the U.S. Supreme Court said sports betting was a state's rights issue. When I sat down again with Richard Auxier of the Tax Policy Center, he shared an antidote on how states could keep Congress at bay. For example, a lot of states, and you see this with slot machines or casinos sometimes, or lotteries where legislators get a little excited, get a little out, you know, ahead of themselves and say, this is going to pay for schools. The money doesn't materialize, or there are just more needs that this, this limited revenue source cannot meet. And so there might be some, you know, antagonism towards this because it didn't deliver what was probably, was, was possibly over-promised. In the next and final episode of The Over-Under, we'll get a better grasp on the 2019 playing field. Which states stick out? and are most primed to be the next to legalize sports betting. As more states legalize sports betting, will overall revenues plateau? We'll also get a 2019 prediction from a sports franchise owner. I'm Ryan Preet, a reporter of Bloomberg Tax, and this has been the second episode of The Over Under. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. All right, bring in the music. <laughs>